Rorschach's Journal, October 12th, 1985. Dog carcass in alley this morning. Dire tread on burst stomach. This city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up around their waists. And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, Save us. And I'll whisper, No. The weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with my co-hosts, Wayne and Hannah. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. Well, I'm not watching The Joker, so it's all good. <laughs> You're not watching The Joker? Well, you, you should be, because if you were, if you were to watch The Joker... Um, yeah, 10 bucks a ticket, 300,000 times. I will be in the lead in our box office. Case. I'm sorry. Is that a reason for me to watch it or another reason to not watch it? It's absolutely a reason to watch it. We, yeah, we haven't done a box office update in, in a while. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going. I'm going to beat you by $10. Um, that is impossible. So, I would be so upset. Can we talk about Gemini Man for a second? Sure. Okay, first of all, I went to go see it. It is not 26% bad. The first half is actually pretty decent. But the but like the story like sort of like starts falling apart toward the end and I was like, well, it's not that bad, but it's not that great. And the ending is kind of disappointing. And then the credits rolled. And guess who one of the writers of the script was? I don't know. David Binoff? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and uh the people i was with and i like turned to each other and we're like oh it makes sense now <laughs> so are you recommending it or no uh i mean like it's if you like 90s action films it's basically <laughs> like a 90s action film like it's uh there's like i really enjoyed like the first half and i also appreciated that they didn't have the stupid trope of super young woman acts as love interest for super old dude and by super he's old dude, that old. he's 50. Okay. <laughs> they improvised hey. this. They improvised <laughs> this movie. <laughs> Compared to her, that's super old. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's, yeah, he's Will Smith. He's, he's eternal. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, I guess Will Smith is also technically like 18-ish slash other ages in this film, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I saw Joker and we'll, we'll get to it in a bit. But um, first off, Joker is doing better than I thought it would. And it puts me in the box office game right now. As of recording, I am about three hundred and forty million dollars behind Wayne. 
with Wayne having one movie to go. Yeah. Um, Midway, which is going to make tens, if not yeah, yeah. tens, if not twenties of dollars. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, like, even though I'm behind now, I've got five films left. Left, I think, or I've got six films left. I think yeah. I'm going to be able to pull ahead, um, uh, including Frozen and Star Wars. So I, I'm yeah. pretty yeah. sure I have it at this point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is going to make a lot of money, but I really can't get a read on the vibe of it and if it's going to be any good or not. I really can't. Yeah. But I can't. I can't imagine. Even if it had a fifty percent on Rotten oh, Tomatoes, no, no. I can't imagine. It's gonna be yeah, fine. You're fine. Yeah. I'm just talking about me personally, as like the twenty-something-year-old oh, yeah, yeah. who goes to see Disney movies. I'm gonna be disappointed in this. <laughs> I'm gonna be upset. Do you have children to take with you no, so that you can just, like pretend? No, oh, I just go. I, I don't pretend. I don't care. When I went to go see Toy Story four. I went to a theater. It was all adults and we were all crying. <laughs> Did you guys drink there? That's no. Not, that's the best thing. No, because movie theater alcohol is super expensive and I'm broke. Oh, oh, you guys. Oh, you're uh, uh, our, ours is actually pretty reasonable. I mean, it's the same as a bar. It's um, relatively reasonable. If it's here. three dollars or less then I will buy it. Because also when you drink at a movie theater, you have to pee. And I don't want to miss the movie I paid for because all the movies are like two and a half hours long now. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and it gets worse when you become old, like fifty. <laughs> Ancient people like Wayne. That's right. It was a joke from the movie. <laughs> anyway, so I so I saw Joe. Joker. And people had thoughts on Joker. I'm not going to spoil it too much because this episode is not really about that. But if you really care, I mean, there will there might be some minor Joker spoilers. I don't think either of you have seen it. And I no. will not. <laughs> yeah. But well, and that's that's part of what we want to talk about, because the the idea of this show isn't so much Joker because we're not really a movie review show. But I thought we'd talk about the idea of irredeemable characters. I think the definitive example is the movie or the book Watchmen, where when the book came out and then later when the film came out, there were all of these crazy people who were like, oh, I want to be just like Rorschach. And then Alan Moore, who wrote it, went, have you people lost your mind? What's wrong with you? You're not supposed to want to be like Rorschach. Rorschach is a crazy person. And, a super and he was very upset. Yes. Yeah, he's a horribly damaged, violent, racist, crazy, um, crazy sexist, yeah. misogynistic. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. awful. Um, he's like, why would you want to be also, like Also, can I just so. say that my favorite conversation online that happens at least once a month is someone brings up Zack Snyder's Watchmen and they're all like, how could a man recreate a movie almost shot by shot, like uh, like of the graphic novel, but also just completely miss the point of the graphic novel? Because also Zack Snyder. Yeah, and 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 Rorschach is an absolutely compelling character, mm-hmm. but, but but not but not a good person. Yeah. Well, before we get too deep, I want to introduce, yeah. introduce our guest because um so um <laughs> who, who, from, from my understanding is an irredeemable character. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this. I've heard this. Welcome back to the show, A. David Lewis. Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've been staying quiet over here in my little corner, sipping my tea while you all talked about <laughs> Toy Story 4, which I cried at also. <laughs> okay, you're not irredeemable. <laughs> Thank you. Are we, ta- are we talking about Woody, the irredeemable character? Or- <laughs> no. no. Woody, no Woody's, Woody can Woody's be irredeemable. Yeah, yeah, Woody's absolutely irredeemable. Even the villain of Toy Story 4 
could sort of be seen as redeemable, unlike the villain of Toy Story 3. <laughs> Toy Story has a lot of really, for, for what it is, Toy Story has a lot of really complex characters. But. You mean Holocaust Bear, the villain of Toy Story 3? Okay. Yeah, what do you mean for what it is? You mean amazing piece of cinema? Yes, for, I mean, for a children's it's movie. It's not just a children's movie. I know it's not. I know. I know. That's what that's why I'm saying it has a lot of amazingly complex characters. It's, it's very interesting for a movie that was that is like auspiciously a, a you know, a kitty cartoon. I but think Toy Story a is cartoon. a deep philosophical. Was Toy Story, was Toy Story the original? Yes. Though, for kids? Well, I mean, well, like, no, well, like, yeah. And accidentally got parent and accidentally no, well, got adults or did we just Because Pixar, up? I mean, I grew I was like a child when the original came out. And when mm-hmm. I went to college my first year, that summer was when Toy Story 3 came out. Which, if you remember, is when Andy went to college. So, like, God, I'm uh, old. That's the thing. Okay. <laughs> but Pixar's like motto. You're old. I already uh, got a pee. Pixar's <laughs> motto is to make movies for the children and every adult, not just children. Yeah. So, like, there, there, yeah. like, there are children's movies, and then there are movies made for everyone that are accessible to children. Yeah, they're trying to not look down on children. I mean, except for Cars up. three and two, probably. <laughs> But anyway, this is not what this is. Sorry, was yeah, was this is this the Pixar episode? I feel like I walked in on the wrong uh, on the one podcast. We might have to do a Pixar episode one of these days, but no, it's not. It's not the Pixar episode. Um, I, I asked David to join us because a couple of weeks ago, um, he and I were both at an, I guess, an academic conference, kind of an yeah. academic conference, yeah. kind of a comic book convention, kind of a theological conference. We were at a, we were at a conference called Theocon, and uh, Theocon is it's an it's an academic conference devoted to the study of pop culture and its intersection with theology we've had our friend matt break on the show a couple of times he helps run it with a bunch of other people and and yeah shana and david was i guess you were you were a keynote speaker there and I was on a panel, so we were there, and we were both of us sat in on in the audience um, on a panel that was a live taping of, and they've never been on the show, but friends of ours, Wayne, that do um, the Church of the Geek podcast. Yes. And you've been on that show. Well, I've been on their show. Right. Um, what to have, have Brian on the show. Um, yeah. Anyway, they did an episode where they were talking about redeeming the Avengers and Avengers Endgame and Infinity War and roughly the, the entire MCU. But they were mostly focusing on those two movies and they were discussing whether or not, you know, again, now it's a theological conference. So they were talking, discussing essentially whether or not the redemptive arc was completed for Tony Stark or Captain in America for um, Black Widow, Thanos, I don't remember who else they Thor. mentioned, but they, they went through yeah, they went through Thor, right. they went through Hawkeye and, you know, the major characters and he and I were in the audience there and, you know, he had some interesting thoughts about what redemption actually meant in that context and when um, when I was thinking about this episode, this is before now we'll get into Joker in a moment, but this is before Joker came out when I first had the idea for this episode. Wayne and I have since the very beginning of this podcast wanted to do an episode where we could talk about the Judas Contract, which is a Teen Titans story oh, from yeah. 1981 Yeah, 81, 82 right in there someplace yeah. and um, 
one of my all-time favorite comic book stories. I know it's one of Wayne's almost all-time favorite comic book stories. And we went, and then we were thinking about Watchmen and what I said about Alan Moore um, being upset that people think that Rorschach is a hero. And then I started thinking, well, this happens with a lot of stuff, right? So even before Joker came out, there were, you know, many a think piece written about should this movie even exist? Because won't this just inspire horrible people to go out and commit crimes like he did? And, you know, they will hero worship him. And I thought, well, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But let's think about the idea of what does it mean to hero worship someone who is not redemptive because spoilers for the movie Joker. He's a bad guy. If you hadn't figured that out from the title, he's a bad guy. Um, the movie does not attempt to make him a good guy by the end. He is the protagonist of the film, but he is not heroic. And, you know, what does it mean to even make a not necessarily a movie, but a movie, a narrative, a comic book, a um, novel where the characters are irredeemable? And how are we supposed to read such media? You have to call him a protagonist there. I mean, just just to to place him at the center of the movie, even though he's Mm -hmm. from the way you're speaking the antagonist who is central to the movie. Just there's no protagonist um, there. I wouldn't say he's the antagonist even. The way it's, yeah, the, the way it's structured, he is so much the center of the action that like everything is not from his point of view. It's not like a first person, you know, but he is your he is your point of reference character. We okay. we see the world the world through his eyes. We adopt the you know all problems are presented through his eyes and uh, we are the movie attempts to have us sympathize with his downfall, but not so much. Uh, we're not, you're, you're not supposed to, I don't, I don't believe you're supposed to watch it and go, Oh yeah, I would do that too. So na- I think so you're supposed to watch it and say, I get why it happened. Narratologist Mika Ball would call mm-hmm. him the focalizer, would, would stay away yes. from calling him protagonist, antagonist, because we have biases there and just call him the mm-hmm. focalizer, the point through which we yes. access uh, any parts of the, the story. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is this, it is his story. 100%. Okay. I, I, I think that's, that would be the positive way of viewing it. Um, it just as a, as an aside, um, it, it's gotten, it's gotten mostly positive, but slightly mixed reviews. Um, Phoenix's Joaquin Phoenix is getting, um, I, I don't think anybody thinks he did a bad job. He'll probably get an Oscar nomination. He's, fabulous in it um my review of it and i didn't end up writing a review but if i did i would have said it's a really good remake of taxi driver and king of comedy Mm -hmm. i mean it's a scorsese film by todd phillips it is exactly those movies and they sprinkled some batman on it in order to get it made um and my biggest problem with it is there's way too much batman in it Uh. batman does not appear you never see Batman. You see a very, very young Bruce Wayne. But every time they they did an allusion to the world of DC Comics, every time they had IP presented, it took me out of the movie. If this were a movie about a crazy person who had a descent into madness, as it were, and became a murderer, I would have loved this movie and it would have made a tenth what it is making at the box office. So that's why. So it, by, you know, by tossing the Joker name on it, they made people go see it. But if he had just instead of putting on clown makeup, if he'd turned himself into a living dog instead of a living clown, it would have been the exact same movie. And going to your point about um, it, you know, being uh, a pastiche of uh, Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, notably it co-stars De Niro. 
right? He's as essentially yeah. the same character as as essentially the king of comedy. Like he is, he is playing the role that his character in King of Comedy hope to become so the way king of comedy ends um for those who have not seen it because it's not you know if you're not if you're it's not a geek movie and it's not as popular as taxi driver was the way king of comedy ends the character might have gotten away with things or he might be crazy and delusional he has constant hallucinations throughout the film so you don't know what's real and what's not and he maybe gets away with his crimes and then gets to go on and try and start a career in show business afterwards. And you don't know whether he's in an asylum just dreaming this or whether he got out and is better. And this movie has a character who is essentially, he's a talk show host played by De Niro. And he essentially feels like he used to be that guy. Um, they has, he has a different name, but he easily could be that guy. He's also half, he's half that guy and he's half Jerry Lewis's character from that movie. So it, it very much is an homage to King of Comedy, especially Taxi Driver to a lesser extent. And both of those movies, I think, have have a similar problem to this in that um, the characters, De Niro's character, De Niro being the star of both of those films, they are irredeemable. Taxi Driver, especially though, Taxi Driver is weird because Taxi Driver asks you to feel sympathy for him and empathize with him and ask you to consider that he might be a hero. It's, yeah, I, I haven't seen King of Comedy. It's been a long time since I've seen Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, you know, same thing. There was that that level of discomfort in this our well, focalizer, not not necessarily a good I mean, guy. Wayne, <laughs> very much a bad guy. Kind of an interesting yeah. point there. In that you haven't seen either of these movies in some time. You did see them closer to the Mm -hmm. time that they came out. They're not as in the public and uh, popular uh, lexicon right now. So did we need a Joker-like movie uh, to bring that idea back? No. Okay. (laughs) No, you say no. Why? Because, but but like, okay, that... That sounds a little dismissive. Uh, that's not exactly what I, what I mean is, is that we have irredeemable characters all over the place. Let's talk about them. <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard of this like neat little show on HBO called Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, are there, there are irredeemable characters on Game of Thrones? What? Uh, which I feel like <laughs> we can talk about a lot because especially in context of like feeling sympathy for irredeemable characters. But like, I don't know. Part of the reason why a lot of people don't want to watch that show is like three fourths of the characters are categorized as irredeemable. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, that there's been like a lot of think pieces lately on like all the serial killer shows um, and like yeah. movies, mm-hmm. uh, which you is like a Dexter whole. Or you mean like something else? N- not just Dexter, but like real life ser- serial oh, killers, real life crime like, shows, making a murderer. Yeah, um, yeah. Ex- stuff in here. Steph loves those shows. My wife loves those, loves those shows. <laughs> like Zach Efron played mm-hmm. Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, yeah, like mm-hmm. that. That one got a lot of like. I felt like honestly, the think pieces about Joker were just kind of like recycled in some ways, like the same like kind of issue as like mm-hmm. the think pieces about Ted Bundy. And I'm not saying anyone's wrong for like asking these questions and like all the questions we ask are you know kind of you know something similar's been going on. I mean, like the, the irredeemable character story has been going on for a long time. I mean, like look at Shakespeare's Macbeth or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same kind of thing, like. He starts out as like kind of a cool guy, but a little bit dark. And then he gets a prophecy and then he like goes on descending into a dark space where he is irredeemable. And Lady Macbeth, because she is a woman, is just 
always irredeemable because she's mad with power mm-hmm. and that we're not talking about Shakespeare, but you know, no, uh, well, no, I think, I think you're, I think you're on the line. I think you keep going. Cause I think you're right. I don't disagree with you. I think that there are plenty of these stories. I think this is a little different in that there is no, well, not with Macbeth is a good example. Cause Macbeth, I think very much is in this vein, but I think with game of Thrones, there are focal point good guy characters. I mean, yeah, like yeah. or I was just going to say like John. I think John, though I might have issues with him myself, I think he is written in such a way as you are supposed to look and say, this is the complete good guy. If, if there is a hero in this yeah, world, sure. is he? But like, yeah. and that, like George R. R. Martin, uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that it's no secret that my favorite characters in Game of Thrones are Brienne and Jamie, and I care mm-hmm. little about most other things. But the reason why Jamie is so interesting, especially in context of this conversation, is for the first two books slash two seasons, you think he's a super bad guy who does mm-hmm. things like push children out of windows for like no real good reason. But Martin like kind of makes you rethink that. And he also said specifically that Jamie is a character that is about redemption and whether or not you can ever be redeemed and what it means to live a redemptive life because Mm -hmm. he only gets a point of view when he meets Brienne and they like go on a journey and he, and it turns out he's not the absolute worst. Right. Humanizes him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But like what makes someone irredeemable and like, not like you can sympathize with some of these irredeemable characters, Mm -hmm. but like they're still bad and you should not like, follow in their footsteps or like say oh it's okay that you did this horrible thing because you had a bad life yeah. but mm-hmm. you know I, I'm gonna I guess differentiate here uh, because there's do we see do we as the, the consumer see these characters as redeemable can think of them as redeemable and does the character themselves think of you know are, do they feel redemption or feel they can be redeemed which brings us to the the terror story the Jesus yeah. contract thing we were talking about Matt you, you, you want to give a rundown of that because that that's what we find fascinating about that character in particular i'm going to go slightly into joker first because i want to sort of compare them but joker very much he doesn't necessarily think anything's wrong it's not a redemption story um the difference between the joker movie and something like king of comedy or taxi driver is taxi driver it's ambiguous he thinks he's doing a good thing and he actually does do a good thing the way taxi driver ends he saves a teen runaway prostitute and so the question you're supposed to ask is well he did a good thing even if he is a horrible crazy person and king of comedy is he's just horrible joker he's horrible and he knows he's horrible. You know, he is aware that he is doing evil and gives a little speech about it. So he's not asking you to see sympathy for him. He's asking you to understand, but not feel for him, like explicitly in the film. Mm. So then Judas Contract, again, one of my favorite stories. It's something that um, Wayne and I have both talked about. I love to teach in a class, but I can't. The way Judas Contract works is uh, Wolfman and... Uh, Perez, thank you, were not rebooting because they didn't start the story over, but they were bringing back the Teen Titans comic that had been sort of dormant for a few years. Based on the success of X-Men, they... DC wanted to bring back the Teen Titans and capitalize on the young superhero right. thing. And, and, and did. At the time, it was one of DC's best-selling yes. books. And so they, they have this book called Teen Titans. And the original Teen Titans, they made the choice to have some of them around still, but they were older. Robin was no longer 12. He was clearly 19, 20. You know, he was 
an an adult, uh, ambiguously mm-hmm. an adult, old enough that he was living on his own. It, it was a hundred issue coming of age story for the teen sidekick, right? And then, <laughs> and then, so they brought back, they brought him back, they brought back Wonder Girl, and then they added some new characters. If you're a fan of any of the Teen Titans cartoon variations that have been in the last 15, 20 years, um, the ones that you know from that are the new characters in it. So Ravens in it. Uh, Beast Boy is it? Though he's called Changeling at the time, and Starfire, um, Cyborg. Cyborg. Yeah, those those characters were all added, and an additional character was added. You know, sort of a little bit into the run after Cyborg and Beast Boy had shown up, they added this character named Terra. Beast Boy at the time is supposed to be fifteen or sixteen, so Terra is probably around the same age. She's she's fifteen. Mm. She's fifteen years old, and she is a teen runaway with massive earth, power earth, earth yeah earth power earthquake, earthquake shattering earthquake powers and she um is troubled she's a tomboy she's um she's got short hair shortish hair for the time period um it's kind of a page boy bob so it's not even she's kind of buck, she's kind of buck too yeah and she's not drawn as buxom she's you know she's a, she looks like a 15 year old girl who's had a rough life and the story is constructed so you say you know what she needs she just needs family if you can just give her family give her love show her that she's not alone she will be all right and they spend a year basically telling you this story. And because there was only one other 15 year old on the team, she naturally falls in love with Garth, with Beast Boy. Um, or and he falls in he love, falls with, in love her, with her yeah. and they're dating and everything's getting better. And the story's kind of going on along the way that you expect it to. And then all of a sudden, in one issue, you know, she says goodbye to Beast Boy. They're on a date. She kisses him goodbye. And then the next time you see her, she is hanging out in a nightgown with slutty makeup on, smoking a cigarette with Deathstroke the Terminator, their arch nemesis. And you go, what the hell is that? And it's implied, though it's never said, it's implied that they just had sex. Um, Deathstroke is clearly a man in his 40s at youngest, probably 50s or 60s. Um, he is he is a white haired older gentleman and they have sex and you find out that she is a mole. She has been feeding their enemy information to help him beat the Titans. And this was the writer's intention from the moment she appeared. Yeah, in the but book. you don't know that at the time, because when you right, when right. you when you read it, your thought is, oh, my God, what has Deathstroke done to this poor girl? that we've grown to love and then over the course of the story you you know like it's sort of implied oh i guess he's brainwashed her this is awful this is a this is a horrible story and then um when the teen titans actually figure it out and they go to battle deathstroke and save her it turns out or she tells them he's not brainwashed me i'm you know i'm not his minion i'm his partner and she fights them and every time they try to save her she resists and she keeps fighting them and ultimately there's basically the secret hideout where they're having the the fight going on is caving in and Beast Boy tries to save her life and she refuses to take his hand and be saved because she'd rather die than get help from them and then she dies which sounds a little brainwashy it totally sounds brainwashy and this is where it becomes complicated because she dies and she's dead for years and years and years after that like dc has attempted to sort of bring her back and like several times they've tried to redeem the character since then but the initial point of it was that she was you know much like dr doom or any other evil comic supervillain who has no 
purpose other than just being evil joker dr doom she was that she was just duping them all along and it does sound brainwashy but their intent was that she's just a bad guy and just because she was pretending to be this thing that you want to save a poor teen girl who therefore as the the poor teen boy reader you're supposed to want to save this person the idea of the story is some people are just bad and you cannot you know and and Mm -hmm. love doesn't save the day and you know all those things sort of thing it's crucial I, I'm going to open this to everyone, of course, but um, I, I don't know if, if Mav and Wayne read the issues themselves when they were first on the stands yes. or read them as collections yes. later. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. So this question is still open to everyone, but at what point in this storyline was the title of the storyline revealed? Because Judas contract, contract years, um, the, years the, later the, when it was the, collected. Yeah. So it wasn't on like the credits page. It wasn't on in the letters column. So uh, even uh, well, it was it was after, after yeah, you found yeah, out she was evil. After after it was revealed. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because that's a weighted. I mean, yes. I'm thinking yeah. that the experience well, and, and, of reading this in trade is yeah, going to be well, vastly different than reading it as which in is why we can't teach it. Yeah. Yeah. The the problem is that for years there have only been they have. In the last few years, they have reprinted the entire series. So you can start at the beginning of New Teen Titans and read them in order in trade form. But for years, the only two Teen Titans stories that were easily available in trade were there were two of them. There was one of the Trigon stories and the Judas contract, which starts with which the reveal. Starts with the issue where she's revealing that she's a traitor. So there's none of that year long right. build. For, for us, there so, were 15 issues of her being a good guy, and then all of a sudden. She's evil. And if you just read the trade by itself, it, it she's you, evil on page none four. Of that yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sounds to me like basically what happened with Daenerys on Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, and everyone's shock that, yeah. you know, the character we had all assumed was great and wonderful, though actually in hindsight, maybe no one should have assumed that. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, actually, I'm a dragon. She killed her brother. <laughs> yeah. She, she actually was like an imperialist who was just going to not stop until everyone was conquered by her. Exact same kind of thing. She was always going to be bad. They said that at the very beginning. I mean, that's the same. I mean, like, I guess Cersei is another example of like showrunners kind of misunderstanding original authors characters because the showrunners try and use like typical gendered like sympathy things like she's quote a good mother so that's <laughs> dubious. Uh, wow she's really not oh, no. <laughs> you know, they keep emphasizing how much like she loves her children in like the show um and seem to i mean like lena headley's great so they like want to give her material i understand yeah. that yeah. but like they they, they yeah. like really just like really do away with like Jamie's character arc and a, like a, do a lot of like softening, like domestic, like motherhood, maternal softening things to Cersei. Whereas like in the books, like George R. R. Martin, I think said something about like feeling dirty after he wrote her chapters because there was just nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She didn't get her own chapter. So like what book four or something. Yeah. And, and at the time when I was reading them, I'm like, okay, we're finally going to get it from her point of view. Maybe I will finally like her. And no, but they're, they are hilarious because she thinks she's killing it and she's definitely not, yeah. which actually the show yeah. doesn't seem to understand either. But the thing that bothers yeah. me about this ir- about irredeemable character narratives in general, and it's not the fault of creators necessarily, though sometimes they fall into this. It's like people say, oh, bad things happen to people. So like, no wonder they're bad. You should be nice. Like a lot of people I saw, like go see the Joker. They comment. What I took away from this movie is we need to treat each other with kindness. And I was like, okay, but but here's the thing. 
first of all, that's like that's like saying like I'm gonna treat people with kindness so they don't like murder me. And also it makes as as a woman, I'm thinking like and I, I think this plays into like some of the storylines with the Joker too. And one commenter said, um, in the trailer for Joker, you see um Walking Phoenix like making faces at a kid on a bus and his mother's like, Nope, leave him alone. Mm -hmm. And like, but you don't see that from her point of view. Like why would she not want a strange man man, interacting with her and her child? In the film you do in the film, in the film, it explains it. I I will give him credit there. Yeah. Like the trailer does not, but the film actually makes that make sense. Yeah. But like, you know, like, uh, but you know, even just that, like women don't want to interact with strange men because Mm -hmm. some, like a lot of times like they're mean to them or like threaten them or make them feel uncomfortable if we're not super nice to them. Mm. And so, I mean, like, no, that's not always that, but you know, that's like kind of some of the narratives I was thinking of, like mm-hmm. when it was just like simply like be nice to people, but also like just because bad things happen to you doesn't mean you have to be a total dick. Like, mm-hmm. Rian, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's not yeah, Rian, like, the, Isn't this the incel issue? Yeah. I mean, yeah. isn't this the, yeah. like, the core of the real world? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, the real world, not even dilemma, the real world. And, and that was yeah. one of my fears when I saw the, the trailer is just it, I was afraid it was going to be a celebration of mm-hmm. incel culture. I mean, like, Bri- excuse, yeah, yeah. Brienne is like yeah, totally, totally mistreated in all of Game of Thrones, has a horrible life, is abused as a child. She's the best character. Like, OK, the most interesting. yeah, she's yeah. the best person. Yeah. In the bo- yeah. Besides boring Jon Snow. <laughs> well, but even um, and, and, no, and but even him though, he's. Argue, I mean, I I I agree I'm with you. I like Podrick. Yeah, but, well, yeah. but I, okay. I, I I agree with you on Brienne. But even but even Jon Snow, Jon's life certainly oh, yeah, life in sucks. a picnic. You know, his life sucked. Yeah, no, you know, no, the, like all the good characters' lives suck too. Like mm-hmm. it's a brutal world. That's why people find it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, partially, but like. Yeah, like uh, all, and actually, like Luke, Luke Skywalker, his life sucked. Harry Potter, his life sucked. Mm-hmm, he like mm-hmm. go on a rampage instead of like doing quote the right thing and defeating Voldemort. No, <laughs> like, but weren't they? In, I mean, just because Harry Potter's more in my wheelhouse than Joker at the moment, um, wasn't there always the threat there that he could go bad like Tom Riddle? He could yeah. because yeah. of what's been heaped upon him. But he's a redemptive um, character, right? Like that's the difference. Harry Potter is strength of character can overcome adversity. And actually, you know, uh, Voldemort is given a chance, like Darth Vader, to repent Mm -hmm. and, like, feel remorse. Like, in the final battle with Harry and Voldemort's like, nope. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's what makes him completely irredeemable. He refuses to... Mm You know, but he but he's given a chance. Like J.K. Rowling is totally leaning into like Christian redemptive allegory right there. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for saying <laughs> that because the the um, thing that stuck in my craw. Not so maybe that's unfair, but um, when we were at Theocon, mm-hmm. the whole discussion of redemption and being irredeemable or redeemable was, uh, was premised on Christianity. I mean, yeah. was entire, but that went very unspoken. It, it, mm-hmm. uh, it sort of blended into a Western assumption, a Western I, background. In fact, while we were talking, yeah. I, I looked up box office mojo just to see what Joker's foreign, uh, take was mm-hmm. to see if outside the U S uh, in cultures that are not largely Christian, how it did, uh, it still did very well. I mean, it, that it didn't prove my thesis at all. So I'll admit that, but, um, yeah, if we're talking about redemption, we're talking about, uh, Christian redemption largely. I know people want to say Judeo-Christian, but 
There's a lot mm. less of that in the well, Old Testament. And, and, there's, and there's a very specific meaning to redemption in, in Christian theology that is different than someone here who did something wrong and they can do something to make up for it. Right. I mean, you we're talking, uh, you know, uh, I, I just lost the word I wanted. Never mind. Well, I, but pick up on it. I think you're right. And I think David's right. Now, to be fair to Theocon, and to be a little critical yeah. of Theocon, it is it is a theological wow. conference, not a Christian conference, but much of their membership when when you're drawing from from a theological background in the United States of America, most theology scholars have a Christian background or at yeah. least those that have the ability to delve into popular culture right most of the ones who would be at, at a conference like this um, most of the ones that would be drawn to this sort of thing and they certainly want more than what they have but yes they do. Um, like, yeah. so, so i want to i, I want to give them credit there i mean again uh, so as full disclosure i was there as an atheist David was there as a Muslim and I don't know because it's not it's not the kind of thing where people kind of announce their their religious background. Well, you did because it was part of your talk. Yeah, but I didn't have to. But I mean, at yeah, the but same you didn't time, have to. they were not right. state your beliefs at the door. Nothing, right. nothing of right. that kind. But that said, since it's, I mean, easily 95% of the attendees were presumptively Christian, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the framework of the discussion ends up going. And I, I don't know that, um, like when we were talking about the idea of redemption during that panel, I don't know that. And, and, I, and again, these are friend of ours. Like Brian is a friend of mine and Wayne's and we like him. <laughs> and Wayne has been on his show. But oh, yeah. his show is Church of the Geek. And by church, they, they are discussing a Christian viewpoint on, on theology. Matt Brake, who runs Pop Culture and Theology, very much wants to use other theologies as well. But um, and you've written with Matt, haven't you, David? Yeah, actually, actually, we're um, we're we're co-editors of a book series now. Yeah. We're looking for proposals on religion and comics. So, yes. Right. He wants other perspectives. But the very idea of redemption has sort of a theological bend that I don't know is fair. It's just where the cultural zeitgeist sort of places it. Yeah. Like, can you be redeemed as an atheist? And I, I would say yes. Um, I would say that like you can have a story that is about the bad person becoming good that could be completely atheological. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. The, I mean, the person or the character or the story doesn't have to be identifiably Christian. But what we recognize as redemption is steeped mm-hmm. in Christianity, whereas we could see another story that is based on this is the protagonist from a uh, Hindu perspective because they stick to their dharma, they stick to their duty. Mm-hmm. Or we could go from uh, a, Ju- a more Judaic, an Old Testament Judaic perspective that this is the protagonist, this is the hero because they fulfill what they're supposed to do redemption is entirely aside. So that's the, that's the larger point that I'm making. I'm looking at this as um, we keep, we, we can point to Joker. We can point to Judas contract. I'm actually thinking of Hickman's X-Men because I'm fascinated what he's doing with apocalypse. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I have to recognize that these are all being written in what we'll call a Western context, which is code for a Christian context, which is okay because it yeah. works because it, because it sells because it, uh, it has great spheres of influence. There's nothing wrong with that. 
I just kind of want to identify what the mold is. Well, as you said, even naming the story, the Judas contract is a specific like that, that specifically calls into that's that's a Christ story. Now it's interesting because the Christian theological Judas, the individual does want redemption. Whereas Tara does not, Mm, mm. you you know, Tara Mm -hmm. is offered the chance and says no. And that's where it's a problem. It's a weird problematic view because I will credit to the time period. That story written in 2019, and I've seen people write about it now, it becomes very much a, well, this is an inappropriate relationship. Obviously, she's brainwashed because, you know, it's a 50 year old man preying on an underage girl. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, like you can't you can't tell a story where it's OK to have the 50 year old man in a relationship with a 15 year old girl. And the retellings of it since then have tried to sort of erase that. Like uh, he's usually like um, the Young Justice TV show that um, is out right now, which is very good. They did a version of that where he is explicitly brainwashing her and she is definitely not intimately involved with him. Um, it's more of a he's becoming a father figure and brainwashing her in the most recent recent version of that story because they don't want it to be about oh, well, she cannot be responsible for her you know, because she was, she was molested is the way you'd look at it in 2019 and probably the way you should have looked at it in 1981. But I just, I've read that story a dozen times and I can't find any evidence that that was their intention. You know, they're fictional. They're fictional yeah. characters. In real life, I would absolutely say this is a problem and we need to think yeah. about this. But like the narrative is trying to, you know, they used for shock value the sex. No, it's not a sex scene. Again, it's she. you don't know that they had sex. She could just be lounging around in a nightgown and he came to visit her. You don't because he's fully dressed in supervillain costume and she's in her, a nightgown. So but she's also smoking a cigarette. It's heavily implied. So it was everything. Basically, she's suddenly everything that she's not. Whereas the good girl Tara was a tomboy. This one's got heavy eyeliner and eyeshadow on and bright red lipstick. Yeah, she's smoking a cigarette. She's in um, a slinky nightgown. So it's just sort of the complete, you know, showing you the real her which also problematically equates female sexuality with evil as, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean like that, that is a, I mean, a common theme of the yeah. women we've mm-hmm. named, like Lady Macbeth or Cersei. Cersei, also, like, lack, of, mm-hmm. or lack of, yeah, lack of maternity or maternal qualities. Like Madame Defarge from like a tale mm-hmm. of two cities is also like a femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Every femme fatale, mm-hmm. femme fatales in general in film noir. Yeah. Just, just like all, like there's definitely like a difference whenever we're talking about irredeemable female characters and how they're portrayed mm-hmm. in general, and like male uh, mm-hmm. irredeemable characters. So why are we uncomfortable? Not, I, I understand the point about female characters being held in this place. That is a problem. But why are we uncomfortable with the concept of a character? If I can degender it for a moment, of a character being irredeemable. <laughs> 
why it, yeah i think that i think that goes back to the judeo christian thing we are steeped in the idea of forgiveness in this culture the best thing you can do is forgive mm-hmm. someone and you this ties this ties into the whole you know the, the stuff with ellen DeGeneres recently you know mm-hmm. a brief so if you, people don't know briefly say what happened because i agree with you yeah it, well you know ellen DeGeneres she was sitting with with george bush and and george bush jr uh w and you know i i forget her exact quote she said we're friends i don't agree with him on anything politically but we're friends and i can watch a baseball game with my friend right yeah yeah and and and, yeah, and she's taken a lot of heat from every you know all the anti really? yeah you know all everything he did you know he's you possibility of being a war criminal you know all all the war stuff as well as policies that are in her case very definitely you know anti-lgbq um you gotta have a lot of privilege to say something like that and and that that's what it got is like you know well yeah you can sit and watch a baseball game with him because you're a millionaire Mm -hmm. star um and and there are still people suffering from policies he instituted i I agree with that on the other hand how many of us have racist, sexist, whatever uncles and aunts? Yeah. I mean, like, like, yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And but it's, I mean, it's not her dad. It's not her brother. So, yeah, like, so yeah. she chooses to be friends with him. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. I've got friends that I don't agree with everything on. You know, and yeah, I, yeah. nobody well, who that, that specifically, nobody who specifically erases, you know, my lifestyle or my identity. Um, that that's hard for me to get mm-hmm. over. But it, it's hard for me to fault somebody else. So, I mean, I can think of to move away from Ellen and but stay in the George Bush arena. Um, I think the man's evil, but I believe Dick Cheney loves his daughter and she's a lesbian. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like this is this is common. I mean, uh, the lieutenant gubernatorial candidate for Democrat, like the Democratic um, Party in Mississippi, Jay Hughes, came under a lot of flack for like posting like a picture of like a Republican and a Democrat and saying, well, they're still friends at the end of the day. Um, the, I mean, I, I'm not saying we should cut off everyone that we disagree with. But at the same yeah, right, time, like, right. it's, I, I feel like you, at a certain point, especially at where we currently are, there have to be tough conversations that are had. And, and you, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if that means you lose some friends, which I have because I had tough conversations, well, okay. So have I. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, cause, you know, like, yeah. you can't, I, there, there is a certain point where if you don't say anything or mm-hmm. do something, you are just you're complicit. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that word. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And you, know, you know what? Actually, I am not uncomfortable with the irredeemable character not being redeemed. Like, you know, it's I don't always like how they they're written, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to gender mm-hmm. dynamics, because it's the same tropes over and over again. Yeah, and it's great. Sexist. But and, and like the reason why I don't want to go see Joker is not necessarily because I think it's going to cause cultural harm. I can't say I haven't seen it. It's because I've seen that movie before and I'm bored with it. And you have totally seen this movie before. Yeah, like, There's no surprise in this yeah. movie whatsoever. And, like, it's, just, it's just Oscar bait for Joaquin Phoenix. Like, like people play dark, 100%. dark and depressing spiraling characters to get nominated for Oscars. While mm-hmm. there are pl- plenty of people who competently play roles brilliantly sometimes that are not 100% misery who get no, no, like no credit whatsoever. But that's like another show for another day about a war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, but I, but I do think, I find that interesting. Though. I, I do think some of the discomfort comes from, you know, we are, you know, forgiveness is just seen as this tremendous virtue in our culture. And I do think a lot of that comes out of the, the Judeo-Christian you know, nature of Western culture. Um, but then we find ourselves in real life. It's, you know, 
we we do forgive people. Like I say we we allow for these behaviors in our life if it's people we actually know. Um, Is it possible that that's sort of the secret to like why we're attracted to irredeemable narratives? So, okay, so now I think there's there's two ways of looking at this. Certainly, if you are, I am not a believer, and this gets in this gets very complicated, but I'm, so I'm going to do it quickly. I am very much not a believer in the theory that media suddenly. Um, you know, causes you to become evil, and and by media I mean Dungeons and Dragons. I mean comic books from Wortham. The you know, like, video games, video, video games, games, like right. uh, professional wrestling. It's you know, the world's not that simple. There now to right. to go back to Taxi Driver. When Taxi Driver happened, the story of Travis Bickle, played by um, played by De Niro one of his motivating factors for becoming a gun-toting madman was a desire to save the character of Iris, who is a teen prostitute, played by Jodie Foster. And in real life... Whatever happened to her? Yeah, well, well, <laughs> what happened to her was that in real life, a man named John Hinckley shot the president <laughs> um, because he wanted to save you know, Jodie Foster. You know, uh, um, Reagan was shot by a man who said specifically that he was inspired to do so by the film Taxi Driver, and he shaved his head like the film Taxi Driver. And basically, he was trying to recreate that moment. Um, he was a mentally ill person who, you know, I, 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 I agree with him. If he says he was inspired by the film, yes, I believe him, but I believe he would be inspired. I, I don't think... I don't think he didn't have problems before that film came out. So, right. Yeah. If it wasn't that film, it, it would have been, been something else. else. That said, I don't think it's that simple. I do think that there are people, I do think that somebody like Hinckley is probably attracted to the movie like Taxi Driver because, oh my God, this speaks to me. Like, why did I like the film Black Panther? Quite frankly, because I'm a black kid who loves comic books and it was a, oh my God, I get to see myself. It didn't, I didn't become black because I, <laughs> because of Black Panther. Black Panther. I've, <laughs> You know, I've wanted that my entire life and someone gave me that movie. So, yay. Right. But it also didn't really inspire. You know, I didn't so out, go out and become a superhero or anything either. I just like the movie. So I understand being attracted to that sort of thing. I understand why the Columbine kids like pro wrestling. Right. This is like, oh, this is something that, you know, this is something I we like doom because this is the kind of thing that we want. Right. And I think that maybe irredeemable characters are attractive to your your crazy incel guy for that reason. Mm -hmm. Fine. You like Rorschach. Fine. They're, they're cathartic right. in that way. But yeah. to look at like something, you know, we were talking about Ellen and George Bush and the complicated things. Um, in real life, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ted Cruz sponsored legislation together. They yeah. agree on mm -hmm. nothing and they have argued like they've you know, they've been hateful to each other in real life. But they've also come. They also wrote a bill together in you know, a joint bill from the House and the Senate. They worked on together because they found common ground. So that happens. Real life is complicated and you have to worry about stuff yeah. like, can I still love my uncle if he's, you know, a misogynist or a racist or whatever, right? Like you have to worry about that. Right. So I think maybe there's an attraction to your irredeemable character if you don't identify with him because it is interesting to be able to look at somebody like a Thanos, like a, like a Travis Bickle, like a Joker, or to name David's example from, um, from that, from Theocon, Justin Hammer, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to look at Justin somebody and Hammer. say, that guy's bad. 
I can look and I can say, all right, here's the bad guy. And I can point at him and I can say, even if he's got a point like Rorschach, I can say Rorschach, but I know he's a bad guy. Right. So mm. like I, there's something nice about the simplicity of it, I guess. Yeah, I I guess. And not that we'll have time to talk about all of them, but who are some other you know, characters that you think of as irredeemable in fiction or comics or movies or whatever? David, you want to explain Justin Hammer? So, I mean, we when we were having this discussion, we were limiting it to the MCU. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, basically the point Matt was making the point that the ones that are irredeemable aren't on a human scale. Right. That assigning humanity to yeah. them is ridiculous. They're not human. Um, yeah. And he pointed to Ultron. But Justin Hammer was uh, and the, I'm thinking here of Iron Man 2. Um, mm-hmm. You have Mickey Rourke, who at least feels wrong and wants revenge, right? And you have Tony Stark constantly fucking up and having to fix things and his armor's all poisoned. But then you have Justin Hammer, who's just very human. I mean, it is human, has never been into outer space. He's just an arms dealer. And... He's not even doing it to right or wrong. We don't get some backstory. The character doesn't have some uh, great redemptive move at the end. He's just bad. Selling weapons. Yeah. He's just there to sell weapons, make money, and not even to accumulate power to some end. No, he's just a dick. I mean, I, um, I was talking with just a dick. I was talking with friend of the show, uh, Nicole. Yes. Uh, Nicole Frame. Yeah, uh, about I was I was going to be talking with you all tonight, and uh, we even brought up the Red Skull. At least the Red Skull in um, even before we get to Infinity War and Endgame, but even in just uh, Captain America: The First Avenger, he's a patriot for his country, patriot for a deplorable yeah. ideology. But yes, he's a he is a proud Nazi. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> he is a yeah. very proud Nazi that wants this power for greater glory of the cause um justin hammer's just a dick and (laughs) usually that would be considered a really thin character a really two-dimensional character and maybe um and maybe sam rockwell saves him from that uh from the script on the page but it's kind of rare at least in the mcu that they just let that lie just a dick villain uh zemo who's family and not um a bucky who's been brainwashed and not even hydra wants to make the world in their image because they think it will be a better world it's a better place yeah so that's why i got very stuck on justin hammer i'm just like irredeemable <laughs> right there steeped in humanity and our absolute worst mm-hmm. and and that's yeah, my that's ted talk thank you <laughs> so can i can i speculatively say something yeah. sure please i think it would be great if kylo ren did not get a redemption arc in the final movie oh yes. god yes that'd be great mm-hmm. yes yeah, not well, everyone needs to be redeemed. Yep. He will get one, but I, but, yep. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that also, movie ends with him just, with, if that, end, if this movie ends with him having a terror moment where she, where he's like, "No, I'm falling in the crevice. I want to die. A bad guy, leave me alone." <laughs> I, that would be great. If this movie ends with yep. Ray and Kylo Ren together, I'm going to. I don't know. I don't want to be rude to other people in the theater. I will. I'll cry probably. I'll just cry in my seat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what about what? if it went the other way what if she goes bad with him would you be 
Would that be tantalizing? That would be more interesting, but I don't want them together. And I, I think that they made pretty clear choices at the in the last film. Yeah, but that's just me on my little Star Wars soapbox. Yeah, no, I, sure. I, I agree with you. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great if he just can't be saved. Like if it's just like no, he killed Han Solo. He's <laughs> <laughs> got too much Vader in him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I one of the ones I, I've thought of is is Negan in The Walking Dead, who is just Ooh. he's he's a character that you love to hate. You know, the first thing you see him do is bash in the brains of one of the series' most loved characters. And it was obvious in the book that Kirkman just loved writing him, loved writing his dialogue. And you know, by the end, like he they did let him out of his prison. They, they, he went off and lived on his own in, in zombie land. He didn't get to be a part of the community, but I don't know that they ever, they certainly never made him a good guy. He did. He did things to save people. He did things to help people as it progressed, but there's a certain, you know, self, self, there's a certain self interest in that. My understanding is on the TV show, they're trying to make him redemptive now. Yeah. I wonder if that's like, you know, again, we live in a, you know, the Western Judeo Christian, mostly Christian culture. Mm-hmm. We like re- we like seeing people redeemed. So is he yeah. just popular enough that they are, I mean, are they fast yeah. and furious seeing him fast and furious? I, if you have never seen these film series, ev- eventually everyone becomes a good guy because if because yeah. they want to keep you yeah. in the movies because you're popular. So, you know. Jason Statham's oh, they had character. To do the same, yeah, straight up. They did the same with Skyler on Heroes, and he was a serial yeah. killer. They just had yeah. to- Zachary Quinto was too popular, so they started redeeming him. Um, I do want to. I do want to point to comics that are coming out now and ask uh, if if you're following um, uh, if you're following Jonathan Hickman's X Men. Absolutely, one, run, what, or, one yeah. of the best books coming out now. Yes, yeah, it really is. Uh, I definitely feel that way about it. And I, in terms of our discussion of redemption. I'm fascinated by Magneto and Apocalypse mm-hmm. and Mr. Sinister, and they're all just co-mutants now. They're all yeah. sharing in this vision, but, and, and this is what I wanted to bring to this discussion, I don't know that they've been redeemed. It's not, it's not so that much yet. as it, there's been a whole scra- re-scramble of ethics, a whole yeah. yes. change in the in the paradigm so that like the past is no longer even valid. They're being judged mm-hmm. on a whole new scale. I have so much to say about that book that we might need to do an episode on. Just <laughs> okay. <like that>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess but, this uh, actually this takes us back to um, <laughs> George R. R. Martin's question: like, what does it mean to live a redemptive life? Like, what what does redemption even mean? I know that we definitely have talked about in the Christian context and stuff but i mean like you know black widow has her ledger that she's trying to balance out yeah which another stereotypical <laughs> god yeah yeah oh no there's uh, no, terrible. Yeah, i mean popular culture is full I mean, of yeah. tropes so, uh, is true that's why they become tropes that's right? how we are so. able to talk about something every week <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I do that's a good question though i mean can you separate the idea of redemption like, I don't know that I, redemption has a meaning without ideology, right? And yeah. regardless of what your religion is, per se, in America, we have a cultural ideology that is, you know, I think, David, you did a very good job of calling it the Western ideology, right? We have a yeah. we have a ideology that is very much 
steeped for the last uh, roughly a hundred years. I wouldn't say going all the way back to the beginning of the country, but, uh, but roughly since the early 20th century, since civil war, somewhere in there, we've had a heavily Christian influence, you know, uh, to where, to where the idea of redeeming, I think whether you're Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, atheist, agnostic, um, you worship the, you know, the spaghetti monster, right? Like I don't care. Zoroastrians. Don't forget Zoroastrians. Any of them, right? But the idea of redemption in our culture, I think very Mm -hmm. much is a, um, (laughs) this will be meaningful only to Wayne. You're trying to make sure you're at positive karma points, right? <laughs> and, uh, right. And, so basically, you're describing the good place. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, uh, Because that actually is a show where it makes the point that no one is capable spoilers, of living spoilers. up yes. to like. They've come yeah. to that. They've come yeah. to that uh, realization, yeah. but certainly not yeah. where they started right. the show. Yeah, like, yeah. like, like there's, there's an idea that no one can live up to a standard mm-hmm. of like what it means to be good, and I mean, on the surface, it's a show about moral philosophy right. in a lot of ways. I mean, like they literally sit around and they talk about Kant and the categorical imperative or the trolley problem. And, yep. and like, I mean, even though like there are truly like awful people and characters who do awful things and have really toxic ideologies that are inherently violent. I mean, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I say for like the second week in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Can I suggest that we actually have um, sort of a stealth narrative going, a stealth ideology going in the U.S. Uh, or, or in the West? And by which I mean, yes, it looks Christian. It looks redemptive based. But when I think of Apocalypse, just as one example, or of like... Um, you know, celebrities that have gone bad, but we give a second chance and then we become sort of endeared to them. Robert Downey Jr. wouldn't be a bad example, although I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to, uh, vilify addiction. Um, could like the stealth ideology be sort of the reverse of what was said in Dark Knight? You either, you either die the hero or live the villain what if villains live long enough to for society to catch up to them to be the hero? In narratives or in real life? Um, I'm going to say both. Okay. When we have narratives that has to have that redemptive overlay. Right. So what, what, I'm, what I'm thinking about is to look at Apocalypse, right? In the Hickman X-Men run, right? Apocalypse, sinister, lesser extent sinister since he's played for laughs in the book so far, at least. But Magneto, yeah. those characters are... I don't want to get too too much into what that book's about, but Hickman is trying to play with the idea of what is ideology on a very, very deep level. But what he's trying to do, so he's trying to do the fast and furious thing. Like he's trying to do, yes, they've um they have ultimately arrived at a good place no matter how they got there. That's a that's sort of that's sort of the you know the ten thousand foot view of what it is. And I think that like you can in an actual narrative, you can write an arc to where we like a tidy story where it has a beginning, middle, and an end. And at the end, mm-hmm. either evil was punished or evil was redeemed. Right. Like we can like we like that story. Real life mm-hmm. is complicated. In real life in real life, someone whom I consider a supervillain who happens to be the president of the United States right now mm-hmm. 
he has signed laws that I happen to like. Like he has begun the restructuring of prison reform, which is a good thing. I don't have to like him. Go back to the Ellen. Go back to the Ellen example. George Bush looks different now. I'm not excusing him. I'm not. uh, And I don't mean to get deep into politics, but the way that a nation we don't feel as acute about him because we've now been exposed to worse. Right. Um, and that's and sort of what I mean. We've, by. we've seen his paintings and they're kind of adorable. Right. He did, Even right, when yeah. he was president, like they're, they're, he did, he did a really good job of, I mean, I, I've, I, think, I think I've mentioned on the show before that I used to work for something called the ESAR VIP program, which, it, which like structures first responders for national disasters. He invented that. He invented that like in the days after 9-11. And that's a good thing. I don't mm-hmm. agree with him on much of anything, but I will unilaterally say what the idea that he came up with is a good idea that I think makes the world a better place. So like he came out and said, we have to embrace Muslims. They're our yes. friends, our neighbors. I mean, life's complex. Stuff that life is complex. Life is complex. And we don't. But like but when we tell stories about stuff, we like simple story. We don't like complexities. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's very much easier in 2019 to cancel somebody because they're not real people. Celebrities aren't real people. Celebrities are stories that we tell each other. Like, and we've said this on, on previous shows, but we can decide, okay, I cannot support the art of, of, I don't know who, who, Give me celebrities who are wrapped up in the Me Too issues. Um, uh, Kevin Spacey, um, um, yeah. Lasseter, uh, Weinstein, uh, Weinstein, Matt Lauer, Weinstein, Lauer. Like it's it's very easy to 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 do that because we can tell the story. Like Harvey Weinstein's not a real person. Harvey Weinstein's a guy on the news, right? He's not a real person to me. So. But I'm sure he's done good stuff for people. Like, I'm sure if you if you're somebody who's Harvey Weinstein's, you know, niece or nephew, you probably have complicated feelings. I would imagine if I can give one uh, uh, an example from my own life um, growing up and, you know, white boy in the suburbs. OK, uh, white Jewish boy in the suburbs at the time. Uh, Phil Collins. Love the Phil Collins and Susudio and, and all that nonsense. And then. And this is before the internet. There was a rumor, just a rumor that went around that he donated to the PLO, to the Palestine Liberation Organization. And in my immediate community, no, we can't support someone like that, all based on a rumor. Right Mm -hmm. now, fast forward to today where uh, the remains of the PLO are invited to talks, right? And uh, supporting uh, what could be, could be considered a legitimate, uh, a legitimate governmental organization in the wake of outright terrorist organizations looks wildly different. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering about the curve of culture here, right? I'm wondering if, People look redeemed. Culture moved. Because culture moved. Because culture moved around. Exactly. And I mean, I would give Magneto and Apocalypse in Hickman's X Men precisely that sort of estimate. And I'm wondering about if that's how Negan is being written into Walking Dead. And I'm wondering about Roshark. And I, I mean, when we talk about redemption, are they moving closer to legitimate society or is le- what we're calling legitimate society um, 
wavering. Dixie Chicks. Dixie Chicks. Dixie, yeah. Dixie Chicks yeah. lost their career all but because yeah. they were because they were unpatriotic in October of 2001 and now they're heroes because now we know that that war is kind of unjust in we, many we ways. We knew it then, um, too. Fantastic example. Well, well I mean, who we is. you're right. I know what you I mean. mean. Yeah, but also, right? like, yeah. lots yeah. of people knew it yeah. then, too. Yes, but uh, but at media at large, no, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. vilified them, right? So the world moved around them. Is one of them. Totally. Yeah, there, there was an episode of Northern Exposure way back when, when Hannah was a wee bear. <laughs> where, you were a bear? Were a bear. <laughs> where the, the character of Chris, that he had, um, he had been in prison, he moved to Alaska, and there was like some outstanding warrant. They, they came to Alaska to try him on this outstanding warrant, and the defense was he is no longer the person that warrant refers to. Hmm. And in the course of the the trial, he talks about exactly that issue. And he talks about how history changes our perception on things. And the example he gave was George Armstrong Custer, hero of the American people, genocidal maniac. Mm. Yep. Okay. Christopher Columbus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm not trying. To, I'm not trying to legitimize like, any of the examples that we're bringing up. I'm yeah, actually. Yeah. I'm finding in very imperfect examples towards a a larger thesis about what we're calling redemption um is it growth in the character or is it a change of scale uh by the society or both well or does redemption not exist but for the way we narrativize it inside of an ideology right like so if christianity is Mm. the predominant ideology regardless of religion then we can say Oh, he has redeemed himself by rescuing the children from the the evil, or or saving the maiden from the dragon, or you know whatever it is, right? Like you know, like in in the in the classic story. Um, so is that is that redemption because we've decided that you know that's how that's how you get positive you know karma points, good good place points. <laughs> karma, by the way, karma is from a from a Marvel superhero <laughs> role playing game. It's I I know it's also based on the on the religious concept the religious concept but the way i'm using it with points karma karma points points are specifically to this role-playing game of the 80s you do do good things you you do good and positive numbers yeah 10 and and then and you can use you can spend karma points to do things so to do better things doing good work is incentivized right well but but in that game right in that game they are taking well i mean they're sort of mixing religions but they're gamifying the idea of karma yeah. <laughs> you know they're they're gamifying it into which isn't hard yeah into which really isn't hard if you consider yeah. the goals to which real life practitioners believing in karma the the cycles they're aiming for the goals they're aiming for yeah. Uh, I'm not I, trying I just, to diminish it down to a game, but it has the same yeah, structure. I just just recently spent a whole bunch of karma points up my power stack. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> that's what you do, right? Like you can, like you get yeah. you. I mean, if you develop, um, so it, again, it's a superhero game. If you get enough karma points, then you can buy better powers, right? Like that's mm-hmm. like that's that's the idea, right? Just like just like you know, okay, on the good place. You get enough positive points, which the good place, the TV show argues is imp- is impossible. Then you get to get in. You get to go to the good place instead of the bad.
bad ways. And, you know, one thing that I will say the good place is maybe doing, I mean, and, and to be fair, it is the second best show on television after Riverdale. Best show. <laughs> one thing they're doing is that they, they are making the argument that the world is much more complex. Like you can't, I mean, that was the flaw they discovered. No one can get into the good place because every action is both positive and negative, And it is only an ideological viewpoint that allows us to to see it one way or the other. So if you take the ideological viewpoint that Thanos or Ultron, you know, they're not humans, but they have a humanity to them, then sure, they're eradicating a cancer and therefore good. But if you look at it from the from the point of view of the humans, i.e. the cancer, they're, you know, genocidal maniacs, right? So ideology is hard and redemption doesn't actually exist except for from perspective, maybe? Justin Hammers is dead. Um, okay, can we resolve something before we wrap up? Sure. Can we resolve that a certain director needs to... Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Todd Phillips, director of The Joker, also director of The Hangover, said, go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. There were articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the effing funny guys are like, F this shit because I don't want to offend you. It's hard to argue with 30 million people on Twitter. You just can't do it, right? So you go, I'm out. Oh, come on, Todd Phillips. That's not true. First of all, Louis C.K. made a comeback with like the worst jokes for his comeback ever so like there's plenty of awful people still in comedy too maybe your jokes aren't funny yeah (laughs) so here's the thing i i think he has a point but it's wrapped in so much douche Baggery. Oh yeah. Oh no. I'm just, I'm just annoyed by it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, I, like I understand what he's trying to say, but oh my god, don't make it so hard. To, like, I don't even want to listen to him because he was such a dick. It's just like, no, I, I disagree with you out of spite. I don't even care what your point is anymore. <laughs> is he? Is he saying? Is is he trying to say that if he can't say whatever he wants? He's going to get angry and just, I mean, it's, it sounds kind of like he needs to that's what it watch his own. It sounds like, he sounds like he found yeah. out there are things, such things as repercussions. Yeah, I, don't, yeah, I don't think that's what he meant, yeah. but I think that's what he said. I think he, I think, so he is right in that culture moves and the zeitgeist moves and some things that were okay for mass consumption in one era become not okay in another era. Friends. Yeah. Richard Pryor. Yeah. And we talked about that on this show before as the cultural zeitgeist moves, pop culture at large has a tendency to judge sins of the past based on ideology of the present. And that's not really fair. So like, so I, I, it's hard to say, yeah. Oh, friends is extremely homophobic. Well, sure. You know, every comedy comedy is always out of date 20 years later. That's a problem. Not all comedy, but it, but it, it is, it is a problem that happens. And yeah, you can't just make the same show and expect it to be a mass hit. What I think is unfair is that people will say stuff like comedy should always be about punching up, never punching down. And this is why you can't have conservative comedians. Of course you can have conservative comedians. They're just not funny to liberals, right? Like there are, there are tons of people who have, who have careers saying I mean, this, really offensive things. I feel he like this is a whole other show. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I've started this. What he's really saying is, yeah, he can make a movie like The Hangover. He can make a Blazing Shadows. He can make something that is absolutely massively racist. I will acknowledge that I am a fan of old Amos and Andy radio radio plays. If you've never seen them, they're really, really racist. But I study culture for a living and I understand 
how to watch them in the viewpoint of, okay, this is from 80 years ago, made to amuse white people, but it's a menstrual show, essentially, right? I understand what they're doing, and you could make that today. You just don't get to be offensive by today's standards and hope to be a cultural touchstone the way Hangover was. So, yeah, if you want to be the cultural touchstone, then you need to evolve to fit the current cultural moment. And if you don't want to be that, it's fine. Just make your career, you know, playing Nietzsche. Like Louis C.K. is doing fine. He really is. He got to be better. You know, now he's got a point. People will say, oh, he's canceled. He was canceled. And yeah, he will. You know, so you have a choice. Do you want to push your art or do you want to be famous? Most artists don't get to be famous. So, you know, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, Todd Phillips, because like it was just so entitled. Yeah. 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 But, you know, to be fair, like even people who like work really hard and have like a good social message or are really funny, like, you know, like, like, and like no one has anything really bad. And there's always people who are going to be negative, be negative. Like there's always this one guy who waits for the newest Toy Story to come out and he gives it a rotten review no matter what. We're back to Toy Story. And I think that is that means it's time that we've. So what do you want? Do you want to have a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes or do you want to make your statement? And no, I can't do what I want. You just made Joker. It's made $240 million domestically. You can, you're doing fine. <laughs> you, you know, you, you did fine. Yeah. And I, I do want to point out that artists also can evolve. Yes. I mean, stuff yeah. that worked for them once. Um, I like to point to people like yeah. Spielberg. Maybe. Or you can choose not to evolve. Um, do whatever I, you want. It's fine. <laughs> You can choose not to evolve, or, but to the privilege of remaining successful on the same shtick, that's not going to work for anybody. No, it anybody. doesn't. So, you know, and he was just, he, he was just so entitled. Well, I'm not allowed to do this. You're allowed to do whatever you want. You hit the lottery and got to, and, and get to make movies for a living. Shut up. <laughs> it, was, it was the most annoying thing I'd read in quite a while. And there's a lot of annoying people on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's probably a different show. I wonder how much of that rant yes. I edited out in post. <laughs> so we've resolved that Todd Phillips mm. needs to take a chill pill. Yes, but we've resolved nothing. <laughs> yeah, good conversation. I don't know. You know, redemption's hard. We don't even know what it means. I'm curious to what you think it means at home, listener. So, you know. Go, go to the show yeah. notes and comment and let us know your thoughts on, you know, who can be redeemed, who can't be redeemed. Why do we like these movies? You know, do you do you disagree with us? Do you think that they're dangerous? Do, do you think we're irre- irredeemable? Well, I mean, well, you can tell certainly. us by writing us a review. <laughs> I like Yes. You can say that I'm unredeemable, but just please still give us five stars because that helps people. <laughs> yeah, right. That, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> David, thanks for joining us. Always fun. Uh, thank you. Anything you want to plug? Uh, I tweet uh, at A.D. Lewis and... I publish a lot of stuff. So, so look for it in your finer academic <laughs> journals. I don't know. Oh, and Kismet, Kismet Man of Fate. My comic book is available. Volume one is available on Amazon. Link in the show notes. <laughs> Yay. And Palindrome Hannah. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Lee Rogers. I cannot guarantee the quality of the content. <laughs> <laughs> She's funnier than she pretends to be. <laughs> Wayne. I got nothing new. I got nothing new. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of those places 
at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out about what the next show is going to be. We post calls for comments. You can give us ideas. You can give us your thoughts. We will address them on the show. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please consider, as we said, writing us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't just give us five stars. Write us a review. If you write us a review, that helps the algorithm privilege us, and we will become good people. We will be redeemed and I don't know how that works, but we'll get no, karma, they, we'll get karma points. You Every will get karma, karma points. Point. Writing reviews is good. You will That's get karma true. points. You will be redeemed. You'll be able to buy yourself more superpowers later. So I feel like promising people going to the good place makes us get negative points to go to the bad place. Oh, it's a complicated system. <laughs> um, thank you to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. Thank you home for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye Bye. you talking to me you talking to me you talking to me well, who the hell else are you talking you talking to me well I'm the only one here Who the fuck do you think you're talking to?